Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, Amber here, producer of Audio Book Club and resident Audio Bookworm. I'm just here to let you know that this episode contains references to strong language, mature themes and sensitive topics that some listeners may find triggering. If you find yourself in need of help, we provided some support groups that you can reach out to in the show notes. Welcome to Audio Book Club. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, the founder of Content is Queen. Audio Book Club is a monthly event and podcast where we celebrate and discuss Black, Asian, queer and female narratives in literature. Every month we meet with other audiobookworms to discuss an audiobook recommended by you. But, and it's a big one, you can still attend the live event even if you've read and not listened to the book. We'll share our live discussion in every episode, followed by an interview and Q&A with a featured guest. If we're lucky, we'll have the author, but expect to hear from voice actors, directors, editors and book critics too. Join us for our next live event and taping on Sunday the 28th of February at 4pm UK time where we'll be getting stuck into erotic stories for Punjabi widows by Bali Kaur Jaswal. You can register to attend at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC3. The link is also in the show notes. If you can't make it, feel free to send your thoughts and even your questions to us on WhatsApp on plus four four double seven one five four zero double eight three one. That's plus four four double seven one five four zero double eight three one. Also available in the show notes. Oh, and apologies in advance but you'll have to expect some spoilers. So if you haven't listened, but you plan to, you might want to skip to the halfway mark for the Q&A. This week, we're discussing Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams, narrated by Siobhan Marks. Queenie is the story of the delightfully tragic Queenie Jenkins, one of the great fictional creations of the 21st century. Queenie is a roller coaster of emotions. It's laugh out loud funny, dramatic, and tender. We meet Queenie as her life begins to spiral out of control. Her Jamaican British family don't quite get her, her boyfriend has left her in limbo, and her job often leaves her feeling deflated and frustrated. We follow as Queenie desperately tries to navigate her way through changing friendships rising racial tensions and countless toxic relationships here's what's coming up our thoughts on the men at least guy was what he said on the tin he was horrendous he was horrible and he was so flagrantly vile as a human that you could accept it but it was the other men that were more acceptable ted looks the part was actually horrendous that i found way more sinister how we related to Queenie. I related to what she was saying to some situations, but then learn in other situations. And I think that's what I really liked about Queenie in that you just got so much from it. No matter what your background was, you could just almost relate or learn or just get something from it. It was just really refreshing. Siobhan Mott spills the beans. I went to the loo and I cried in the toilet because I found it so tough. I was just so overwhelmed with it all because to sit in a box for three days and read a book is a challenge for sure all this and so much more so let's get into it first up let's meet this week's audio bookworms i'm sophie and i work in alumni at greenwich uni i'm amber and i work alongside in real content as queen I'm Ellie and I work in radio, so I make a mixture of documentaries and podcasts. Hello, I'm Viv. I'm a DJ, singer-songwriter and a scriptwriter. Hi, I'm Natalie. I am a marketing and events executive. Hi, I'm Eunice and I work in international development. 
I'm Shazza. I work in the youth offending team. My name's Anita Powell and I actually do community work. Lovely. Thanks everyone for being here. Let's kick the discussion off, shall we? Because there is a lot, a lot to talk about with Queenie, I think. Can I just start off with what our first impressions of the book were? That seems like the easiest place to start. I'll be honest, I was first introduced to Queenie via the BBC Sounds podcast. I saw something posted on Instagram, probably by Candice herself, and then I clicked on it and then discovered this podcast and I ended up listening to like the whole thing in one sitting because it was just something I haven't heard before. You know, just black British women, typical lifestyle, just kind of trying to navigate being in a relationship and find her feet in her career and stuff. And it was just a very normal story it wasn't this massively dramatized thing and all this crazy stuff's happening it was all very relatable and I just hadn't heard anything like it produced by a black British female I'm sure there's stuff out there but I just hadn't heard it so my first impression was wow this is great (laughs) I completely agree that's how I felt when I first heard it I was like wait I am Jamaican and then there she was going through all of this mental health trauma and all of these really crazy relationships ho phase and all of this stuff going on and I was like (laughs) triggered and seen (laughs) (laughs) triggered and thank you (laughs) I will not be revealing all of my sins on this podcast but I was just like I feel very seen by this book and so I completely understand what you mean when you say it was just it was refreshing to hear that perspective. The thing is so disclaimer I did read this over a year ago so I mean a lot of what I have is just kind of like what remains like what I remember it's sort of making me feel like the first thing that came to my mind was frustration after I just wanted to like slap this girl <laughs> I just remember feeling frustrated. But then I went out listening to Viv speak. So there's two things. I think that I can relate to Queenie in some ways, but there's many ways I don't relate to her. And I think that it's slightly different for me being African and having been born and raised there. I left Uganda for the first time when I was 26. And then I went through a transition where you kind of discover you're Black and then what all that means. And so for me, it was kind of reading what that would have been like having that construct of a Black and race being an issue for your childhood and growing up, which is something I didn't really have an insight into. For me, I was sitting and learning, also was taking notes, because I now have a mixed race little boy, and I've always had this anxiety around, like, I don't know how to raise you Black in this context. Like, I know back home where it's not really a thing, I feel like there's so many codes and things that to navigate that I don't really have the tools to help him with. So I think for me, it was kind of sitting back and almost learning in a way people imagine that if you're black and female in Britain, that you would automatically relate. But for me, it was an educational thing, really. I think that's really interesting. And it was quite nice to have heard Amy, how you responded to it. And then Eunice, how you responded to it. And then I think I'm somewhere in the middle because I'm of Nigerian heritage, but I was born in East London and I've grown up in East London. So I haven't had the exact same experiences as Queenie, but I related to a lot of it. It wasn't so removed from me I remember those microaggressions in those spaces but oh okay that's slightly different to how I grew up but oh that's interesting to learn but oh yeah 100% I've been in that position and I think that's what I really liked about Queenie in that you just got so much from it no matter what your background was you could just almost relate or learn or just get something from it it was just yeah yeah really refreshing I definitely 100% agree with the relatability of it. The microaggressions, again, I felt seen. I felt understood. I didn't want to take part in it, but the paper were doing a whole We Are Diverse initiative and asked if I would be on the supporting images as I am one of four diverse members of staff who don't work in the service divisions. When in my induction, the Spanish HR assistant quite literally said to me, you were very lucky to be working here, There are others like you, except not the same colour. You know, there are darker ones, but they're in IT. I'd open my mouth to respond. They still have no idea what I was going to say. The fetishisation of black women, black women through as a theme, the anger about gentrification. Through Queenie's eyes, it was so relatable. It wasn't more highbrow than it needed to be. Or forcing those issues down your throat, it was really relatable. I loved it. 
Awesome. I was just going to add that the, the one thing that I could totally relate with with my African upbringing was the religion being the solution to everything. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the prayer party, I definitely... Thank you all for those really great points of view. I, I'm curious to hear how everyone else is feeling. Amber, Ellie, Sophie, please do jump in with your first impressions. I think like Eunice's point is really interesting about feeling frustration because I felt like I really loved Queenie as a character, which then meant when things started going wrong for her, like you were really rooting for her the whole way through. And when she made choices that maybe weren't the right ones, I felt a bit like it was like, you know, when you get a real insight, I think it's a credit to the writing about feeling like you're hearing your mate dish on what's going on in her life, feeling sometimes helpless that, you know, maybe things aren't going right for her. I think that frustration is a really key part of the book as you listen along, both like what Queen might be doing, but equally like how people are treating her when it's really unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I think also you can relate to Queenie as a character, but with her friendship group as well. Most people have a friendship group like that. Everyone's got like a group chat where you can talk to your friends about all your problems. And I feel like you can relate to her friends because most people in their life will have a Queenie who has been through terrible relationships and you want to give this advice and like tell her but I can also see in Queenie's eyes that it's hard to take the advice that you get so it's, it's easy to give it but it's hard to receive it. Mm, I think I get that. I agree with Viv that it was quite normal if that makes sense. I think her surroundings and stuff was something that it wasn't like a book where London's this, you know, sex in the city kind of Bridget Jones, everyone's got loads of money, it's whatever. Mm. Yeah, like London's this gorgeous little utopia that everyone lives in. So I quite like that. And also because it's places that are familiar. I live in Lewisham mm. and these are places that I know. I get the 136. And I, I just found like <laughs> it was quite normal. It was like reading your mate's story and your mate's problems because it was stuff that happens all the time to everyone and I agreed with Eunice that sometimes I did just want to shake her but then I more felt just exhausted at the crap she was going through like as soon as Tom was introduced I was like cut 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 he is an asshole. he is problematic AF I hated him and every man I just I just was through it and I was like men I hate them. You just need to get rid of these white losers. I hate them. They are horrendous. And Mm. it's the same conversation that you have with mates that you're just like, you need to do some soul searching and just not accept this crap. Mm. But I'll probably have a rant about that later, especially Black Lives Matter guy. The devil's advocate is a man that everyone has in their life. A devil's advocate is honestly just an excuse for being an arsehole and saying horrendous things (laughs) that you do kind of believe. And I hate that. Yeah. Oh, I hate him. Yeah, all of the men are hot garbage in this book. (laughs) I do quite like the granddad, though. Oh, love the granddad. Granddad, can we put something on the telly that isn't news? I asked. He finally looked away from the television and stared at me for a million years. As you all know, I do not like anything that is fictitious, he announced, turning the news up and facing the screen again. The only thing we should be watching is what's happening in the world around us. It's a horrible state of affairs. And you, young as you are, need to stop being so ignorant. Wilfred, don't start. Not even bother start on Jesus' birthday. Hand me the remote. He did advocate for going to therapy. So all men are trash, but granddad was all right. Just don't keep the water running for very long. Which is fair. (laughs) Yeah, so I did want to touch on the mental health, actually, because that was such... I think the mental health aspect of Queenie does warrant talking about because we could easily latch onto the sex and the men and Mm. the relationships and even the friendships, which I think is also a really big theme. But the mental health aspect, like, we definitely get a sense that Queenie is troubled from the very start. And I think that came through with her nightmares. But I'm curious what everyone else took away from her mental health issues. I think one thing that I think the book did really well was tell this story that if someone's going through something, it's not necessarily a massive explosion. It can be a very quiet implosion that can actually take place over a number of months. And I think one of the best ways is when you see her at work, if you actually just pick out all of the work parts, yeah, she talks about how her work ethic is going downhill, but it's not in a way that makes you think it's going to erupt in the way that it does. Over the course of the book, you see things getting slowly worse and worse. I think it really sums up the fact that it doesn't have to be this massive 
row and everything goes wrong all at once, actually, you can see that over a long period of time, this can happen to somebody, particularly when you're introduced to her as being someone who clearly has fun with her friends and stuff at the start. And then seeing how she changes, I think it really shows how over time it can really affect people. I think it also showed how it can affect people and also how it can affect everyone. Like for me, it made me reflect because like I said, the situations were so quote unquote normal in that a lot of us have experienced working in certain environments. And, you know, she's really passionate about certain stories she wants to tell and she's not allowed to write about them because they're not palatable. And that in itself, Mm. it seems like a small thing to be told no don't write about that but actually there's so much going on there it's like don't tell your story no one wants to hear your story which is actually your pain and your reality and she's being told you don't matter essentially like people don't care and so she has to carry on as normal and keep producing great work knowing that is the perception people don't care about your story and the place she wants to to grab some food has now changed because they couldn't afford the rent Mm -hmm. and it's like again who you are where you grew up your home has just been changed like that and nobody cares can't afford the rent okay off you go and it's all these different ways of being shut down and oppressed and there's nothing you can do about it and then she probably thought she'd found some hope in Tom Mm. and he mentioned her having walls up but there's all this stuff that she can't talk about because it's not palatable or prior to now where people are speaking a lot more freely at the time when Queenie came out and even before then you had to walk in a certain way to just to just get through the day like as a black person or a person of color or even sometimes just being a woman like you have to overlook so many things just to get through the day and she's been doing that and it's just constantly knocking her down knocking her down so you can completely understand why she ends up where she ends up and it's just this sort of amalgamation of all these things and when you look at it it's like wow I carry a lot of this stuff you carry a lot of this stuff this isn't a situation that's so far removed from any of us and actually if we don't pay attention to what people are going through and have a bit more empathy and just kind of look at the world through other people's perspectives we can expect to see this a lot more and we shouldn't be surprised when people do implode like what did you think yeah. <laughs> what did you think would happen <laughs> like, yeah I think mm. building on that as well the expectation of being strong as a black woman that was another addition on top uh, of everything else the expectation of us. I'm weak I'm, no. I'm weak it's fine <laughs> I'm vulnerable it's okay I claim it yes and the generational kind of stigma against mental health and therapy and anything like that was something else that added so on one side she's not saying you don't matter the places that you care about don't matter but on the other side it's like but you've got to get on with it you've got to be strong you're a black woman that's what we do And I think that had a huge part in her pushing it down for so long. And like you say, then imploding. Yeah, I actually want to touch on that because, like you said, Ellie, that gradual decline and that then juxtaposed with her having to be strong and put on a brave face and lie to her friends about these very, very questionable interactions she's having with men also speaks to the weird dynamic that she's got with Sylvie, her mum, which is so subtle throughout the book. Like it's there, this lingering, weak, timid woman who's been taken advantage of. And I kind of see Queenie resisting being anything like her mother and her mother was weak and taken advantage of men and she has to be strong because she is not going to be her mother. So I don't know if anyone else saw that parallel, but I thought it was this strange mirroring and almost resistance to how she'd been brought up and almost rejecting the abandonment before it's even happened. And then that also then related to the fact that she just could not let go of Tom, who was trash, but (laughs) she just never let go of Tom. Again, other thing I could relate to really was like that stigma around mental health, particularly like in Uganda. I recently had a, a conversation with a family member who she'd had some mental health issues. She's had just a nervous breakdown. And she was saying this like, she was so ashamed of it. it this book, I think, really tried, for me, explained a little bit how deeply rooted some of these issues are. Like her grandmother loved her to death, but was like the person finding a way of, of her getting the help she needed. But also... On the other hand, her grandparents were like the people like totally obsessed with medicine and they had the pill for everything. And we just have this block, like if you're sick physically, then run to a doctor, get all the help you can get. But if it's something mental, then there's like just a block. And I think this book really tried to go down into the psyche of that ha- what happens. And another thing, another word you said, Natalie, was like that generational thing and how all these 
untreated problems that in many ways, particularly in Africa, we like to explain things with religion or caste, and you know, you have the thing of that family's caste. But when you really start to look into some of these things, it's all this untreated trauma just being passed down and passed down. Reading Queenie actually was when I had this conversation with this family member, I felt like I was so much better equipped to talk about these things and kind of say it's an illness, you just need to get the help that you need and it's absolutely like to feel ashamed of. Because sometimes I think you grow up around these things and you've never really gone deeper to unravel them and why. And even for me, obviously, I'm sure I've absorbed a, a bit of that from my upbringing. It was on the mental health points and also on the subtlety that the book was written I found so interesting in that it wasn't parodied how your life can feel like it's fallen apart a little bit it was like quite a slow burn of her starting to have things slip when I read a book I get so invested in it that I feel like I'm the main character like main character energy you know and you relate to something so much you're so engrossed that you feel like you're them as I was reading it I was just constantly exhausted by the crap she was going through and I was just like this isn't necessarily something I've experienced apart from the religious aspect and the way her family approached mental health and stuff. But I just thought it was quite true to how many people and many young people even now experience their mental health. So when she just wasn't really addressing it and addressing the stuff in her past, I just thought, wow, that's like, I'm from a working class Catholic background and it's kind of like having mental health problems, a rich people problem. It's like not a poor people problem. You just get on with it. You don't really address mental health in the same way because you've got to work, you've got to get up, you've just got to keep moving because you don't have those same opportunities. It's a luxury to take time for yourself. Yeah, yeah but you don't have the same opportunities as other people. So I think for Queenie, yeah, yeah, she didn't have the same opportunities to the people, so you just have to get on with it. Like, you've just got to work twice as hard for half as much. And I just thought, yeah, that is so true. And it was so exhausting to read in her perspective. It's just one thing after another. And you're always so close to something imploding, but she's just trying to keep it together, even though she's got Gina, who doesn't want to know. And she's got friends like Cassandra, who's just infuriating, but everyone's always got that toxic mate and you're always apologising for them. And I just felt like in every aspect, there was someone taking a little piece of that and she was just trying to get on with it the whole time. And that's what I really liked about Queenie is that even though at the end she did end up addressing those things, I liked that it wasn't parodies. It was just so normal. I do wonder though, if she didn't end up being suspended from work, whether she would still be stuck in the cycle of Mm. not addressing anything, still seeing men that aren't good for her and just stuck in a cycle. I think that moment of being suspended and having nothing was when she's like, right, let's get this sorted. Yeah, as if like, would that have been her rock bottom? Mm. Probably. Yeah, I think you just carry on, don't you? When you're swimming and you're just sort of treading water, you just keep doing that until you hit rock bottom or something forces you out of that state. Mm. Yeah. I do want to touch on the friendships because that was such a big part of this book. The Corgis. Darcy, Cassandra and Cheska have all individually surpassed themselves when it comes to support recently, mainly just by allowing me to text and text and text though I was beginning to worry that it was all a bit of a queenie show at the moment. I don't want my friends to think they exist purely to listen to me talk about how much of a joke my life is. The Corgis. Cheska. Is it going to be cold? Cassandra. Well, it's November, so probably. Darcy. It's going to be four degrees, so we should all wrap up. I've got a spare pair of gloves if you need them, Cheska. And the fact that they were so wildly different (laughs) as a group and forced together. And I really love that she said, you know, she's forced these people into a WhatsApp group that none of them kind of consented to being in, which is just so true of every WhatsApp group I've ever been in and created. (laughs) But I, I really, really felt like of all of the bad things happening in Queenie's life, that support structure, like I don't know if she would have survived without the support of those friends. What were your thoughts? I mean, with regards to the friendship, and this is my interpretation, so people might disagree with me. And by the way, I'm I'm slightly old one, just to remind you. I thought what it was also was an evidence that she also code switched a lot within her life because her friends were so diverse. I just presume you said they were kind of forced together in the WhatsApp group. So therefore, I kind of thought, oh, in different parts of her life, she makes friends with totally different people and she's brought them together. So I presume she code switch and has different types of relationships and different types of people and potentially that could be quite tiring mm. I find if you I mean as I say it could be my interpretation and it could be that people disagree do you know I actually think I disagree 
agree because okay. the fact that in the WhatsApp group and that became the dominant form of communication yeah. with the friends, and I mean, Darcy probably sat a bit yeah. outside of that because yeah. of the workplace. I actually felt that she was quite honest, open and direct and used pretty much a consistent voice in that group. So <laughs> all I take away from her in those groups where she was so selfish. <laughs> she had no time for any of her friends. I found that quite personally, that was when I found her the most frustrating was with her friends, that she just did not seem to care about anyone or any other thing. But when she was expressing herself, while she was keeping, definitely had a mask up and on and not being entirely truthful with them, I definitely felt like her voice was consistent. But again, did anyone else have a, a different thought? I definitely thought the Corgis was her sort of outlet to vent about whatever she wanted. But I did like how her friends didn't give her what she wanted. She didn't get praise from them all the time. They actually gave her the facts and the realisation that actually what you're doing isn't the greatest and you should take a step back and have a look. I think the only thing that comes to mind when I think about friendship was that the relationship with one of our friends, the one who kept like, lending her money and who oh, basically... Cassandra. Yeah, it was mm. like this weird dynamic where it was like, was just a, it felt a bit unhealthy to me as a mm. friendship, to be honest. So I just do remember kind of thinking how much of everything else, like the trauma kind of also feeds into our friendships and kind of who we surround ourselves with. Yeah, I did not care for Cassandra. I'm glad she was reasonably minor. <laughs> in I also think it comes down to how Siobhan voiced her because she was just so posh. <laughs> and <laughs> there is something quite off-putting about that tone of voice. And we definitely need to ask about the voices and the, how they were selected mm. when we get to the Q&A. But there was something uniquely unlikable about Cassandra. And that's definitely how she was written, but also how she sounded and... Like you said, Eunice, that really odd dynamic of lending Queenie money to kind of get through the day, which was nice, but then it became like codependent. I don't know. It was very odd. Yeah, because like a power play. It's weird, yeah. Yeah, I got that. I didn't care for Cassandra <laughs> at all, but I felt like Queenie's relationships with Darcy and Cheska, they were like genuine friendships. I felt like they genuinely cared for her. Whereas Cassandra, she used Queenie almost. Even when they first met, she was like, we have to stick together. And it's like, okay, great. And then she would lend Queenie money, but then remind her that she'd lent her money and it just very much came across like you're beneath me almost like we're friends but I'm the more powerful friend or you need me or I'm here to help you and you just don't remind people that you help them if you help them you help them but you never bring it up because then it's like well did you help them or is it some sort of leverage that you're trying to have over them your damaged goods her words hit me like Anthony Joshua had punched me in the chest I sat on the edge of the bed your damaged goods, so you self-destruct, Cassandra repeated calmly. A good thing she repeated it too, because I couldn't believe what I'd heard the first time. No wonder Tom escaped when he did. He was too good for you. As her words continued to strike me, I could feel my heart fragment a little bit more. You're so closed off that actual love is out of your reach, so you settle for sex with anyone who'll fuck you. Your self-esteem is a joke. She placed the edge of the tape on the cardboard and extended it, sealing the box. So, take care. You can let yourself out. I stood up. What was the point in trying to change her mind? Good luck with everything, Queenie, Cassandra said as I walked out of the room. Oh, and you have my bank account details. I'll send you your tab. I mean, like, even weren't some of her parting words to Queenie about sending her the tab, basically, for the oh money that she'd lent. And Who then, I mean, says like, that? <laughs> we can get into the guy stuff in a minute because that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I did feel like the way that it was brought around where at the end the people who were there to support her were still Darcy and Cheska really just shows that they were the two, like, real ride or die. Whereas knowing everything that, like, she won't know the full extent of Guy. But even what she knew, surely that's enough for you to be like, this guy is really dodgy. What am I doing? Because he was awful. Let, let's go into Guy, <laughs> shall we? Because uh, there were so, just so many men that were so trash. <laughs> just so many. But Guy was uniquely and distinctly the worst. Horrendous. Mm, I think it's too early for that sort of present, Guy. I removed my hand from his boxes. Oh, come on. You said it yourself. 
It's Christmas time. How about a quick hand job? He begged. You took so long in the shower last night that I fell asleep before I could give you a festive fuck. A hand job is the least you can do. Guy, I think we should, I said in a very small voice. Maybe wrap things up. Ha! Guy cut me off. Come on, there's nothing to wrap up. This is never going to be more than sex, you know that. You're a good girl, but I'm busy. I don't have time for dating and all that. Guy, you know I'm a person, don't you? I started, with thoughts and feelings and, and a big gob. But most of all, a big ass. He was awful, but also, I mean, Ted was... Ted, Ted was... See, I yeah. can't... He was really bad. I can't decide who was worse. Like, I really struggled. I was like, Guy, because yeah. of the violence definitely took that up a notch I will admit in my first listening of Queenie I definitely got the sense that her and Ted's relationship was more mutual than I thought Mm. it was and then listening the second time I was like no actually this is harassment this is plain as day harassment in the workplace Guy is an interesting one because he's awful (laughs) He was so oh. dehumanising. Oh, you put your camera on for Guy. <laughs> you came running, Natalie. Oh, I'm going to camera off because that's going to distract me. But yeah, <laughs> Guy, for me, it said a lot about Queenie's state of mind as to allowing that kind of treatment to happen to her. And I'm all for sexual freedom and yes, girl, do your thing. However, the way in which she was treated when she was alone with him was atrocious. It was disgusting. And then the way in which she tried the next day to the Cordy's tried to almost justify it and make it sound a lot less violent mm. than what it was. You could see that she in herself was like, oh, almost did I deserve that? Was meant to be treated mm. that way? And I was like, no, no one deserves to be treated that way. He's trash. And stop looking for other trash guys to make you feel better about the last trash guy. Just, no, step away. Yeah. Mm. It really broke my heart, though, when they did the deed and it was horrendous. But then she wants to cuddle up to his back mm. and get some sort of comfort. And then he just pushes away again and it's just oh my heart yeah it was really heartbreaking you know what though guy trash trash human horrible if he's cis male send him to jail hate him however (laughs) (laughs) however at least guy was what he said on the tin do you know what i mean he was horrendous he was horrible and he was so flagrantly vile as a human that you could accept it but it was the other men that were more acceptable tom who she idolized ted tweed guy looks the part but is actually horrendous that i found way more sinister because after her first time having sex with guy i was like okay she's gonna take him to court he's going down for rape he's horrible but she kept going back to him because of her own things but i think guy was just the big red flag but i think he made links to the other people in her life that were getting away with murder that were Mm. other smaller like i don't know pink flags (laughs) that were almost red flag but they were just more below the radar which yeah, I well, it, was, it was a lot more mental as know. well like actual manipulation which can go yeah. over your head and you don't realise and then also what Guy did to her and then her going to the sexual health clinic or whatever and then mm. them being so yeah racist oh like, my god oh are you being sex trafficked just as she jumped up to leave a male nurse came life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Through the doors and, as expected, scream my name through the waiting room. Coming, coming! I got up and the nurse smiled at me and walked through the double doors to the assessment rooms. I followed him in. My legs beginning to feel wobbly when I was taken into a room a little too similar to Lewisham Hospital's scanning room. I sat in a squeaky plastic chair next to an old brown desk. The nurse tapped some things into his computer. 
Okay, so I have a few questions, he said. It shouldn't take too long. I wanted to turn and run back out into the waiting room. It was times like this I realised that I was desperately lacking some sort of maternal figure in my life. So, Queenie, your last sexual partner, when was that? Um, two days ago? And was it a casual partner or a long-term partner? Casual, I said. I crossed and uncrossed my legs. And this partner, where were they from? Were they from Africa? The nurse asked. Were they from Africa? Higher risk of HIV, the nurse told me. Maybe you should explain that, but no, he was Welsh. When I heard that, that was the most accurate part of the book. I was like, do they ask you these questions? <laughs> yes, they do. Have you had sex with someone from Africa? I remember being at uni, like, um, I, I mean, he is African, but I think he is born here. So does that count? Like, you have to do the mental gymnastics to be like, what are you asking me? <laughs> but I did appreciate, oh, as much as I felt the microaggressions were quite visceral in the sexual health clinic, I did appreciate that they still were looking out for her safety and health. I think that was the one saving grace was like, these marks are consistent with mm. very mm. violent abuse. Are you sure you're okay? And there must have been some sort of dissociation on Queenie's part to just be like, no, no, I'm going to defend this decision. I, I was okay with this. I consented to this. And I was like, did you though, love? Did you or are you now consenting to it after the fact because of all of the shame and the guilt and the fear that you must be feeling now after it's happened. But yes, let's go to Ted. <clears throat> oh, just awful. Like total manipulation. Ted placed his hands on my waist and pulled me up and into the lift. Cameras, I reminded him. What if someone is watching? He stood directly behind me and kissed my neck. Let them see, he whispered into my ear. Fuck it, I purred melting into him. We got up to Ted's floor, and as soon as we stepped through the lift doors, he took a sharp right and opened the door to the disabled toilets. After you, he said, my heart beginning to beat faster. If I didn't want this, why was I letting it happen? Surely I wanted this. I just got worse and worse and worse. Every time we came back to Ted, it somehow got even worse. It really <laughs> did. As we heard the email exchanges and just yeah. how relentless he was mm. and how persistent he was and how much she actually even though she was going through the mental turmoil of well I think this guy's quite good looking and maybe I would but that's all happening mentally and I disconnect those two things in my original listening but then actually now I'm hearing her internal monologue and then you're hearing her actual interactions with Ted and she never gave any indication that she wanted any part of that man all of her words and her actions were turning away very blatant. I'm not interested. I can't do this right now. I'm trying to get back with my boyfriend. And he wasn't having any of it. And I'm actually quite glad that she kind of got vindicated in the end. Well, it's like, because at one point she does slightly turn and she's like, oh, maybe. And then she starts feeling guilty because she feels like she's cheating on Tom. So she's feeling awful about it for like allowing herself to believe there might be something in it. And then it just gets doubled down by him being total trash. And then I think, I know we're about to talk about voices in a minute, but I just think the way that he was voiced. On my second listen, I was like, it's the perfect voice for how much of a slimy snake he is, basically. It like really like made my skin crawl listening to him talk. That was really good, Joy. I really love that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just such a, like everyone has met that character in your life. It's so yeah. relatable. If it's not a blatant no, then men still go for you and still want. Like, it's just really frustrating to hear mm. that it's just, even though there's hints and like, we shouldn't, you should, yeah, sorry, I, I hate it. I'm getting, just, I'm getting red in the face. <laughs> I think he just had the balls of someone with privilege and that's what pissed me off. He just did stuff with no thought of consequences, getting married when he didn't want to get married, harassing Queenie, then putting in a sexual harassment claim against Queenie with no thought of consequence. Like, yeah. people just believed him because of who he was. What is that about? Where's the investigation that's mm -hmm. like, where are people looking out for Queenie? Like, what the hell? Mm. To have the balls to write a letter and think Queenie's not going to say anything because... I am in charge here. I just yeah. thought it was you, little bastards. Like, and then at the, the end, wanting forgiveness. 
like actually yeah. just turning it around that was so himself. wild yeah, yeah. yeah. Wild. Nice. audacity <laughs> mm-hmm. is the one word yeah that would describe him yeah don't know where you got that audacity but you need to put it back like oh, <laughs> horrible yeah i need Ted a breather we didn't even touch on tom and tom's family so tom is so small <laughs> he's so big in that his presence is felt throughout the whole book obviously because she's pining after him as her ex-love but I know that we've all said that Tom's highly problematic I thought the most problematic thing Tom did which I kind of understood in some ways was just not back up Queenie in front of his family Queenie I peered into the darkness Tom this is where you are it smells awful in here he said before taking a deep breath sorry I got angry before I kept my mouth shut. But you can't keep doing this, Queenie. His tone was disappointed. I know that in your family everyone is loud and you solve problems by shouting about them, but my family is different. This keeps happening and I don't know what to do. I can't protect you when it's my family you think you need protecting from. Tom ran his hands through his hair dramatically and I rolled my eyes. You know what my uncle's like. It's from a generation where they said the N-word quite a lot. I looked at him and blinked slowly. By now he knew that this meant, if you think I'll agree with you, you're wrong. Not that I'm excusing it, he said quickly, but come on, you can't ruin my mum's birthday because of it. As someone in an interracial relationship, I actually put that down to the fact that he just did not know how this was his first, not that it's an excuse, it was just his first (laughs) non-white partner I guess is how it's portrayed and so him not even having the language or the pure understanding to stand up to them probably played a part in that but I'm curious to know what everyone else thought about Tom's dynamic within his family and what could he have done differently and would you have done it differently if you were in his position? I keep saying that although people have been doing this work for a long time, there's been a very clear shift since the George Floyd incident of people speaking, being much more vocal. And that's a lot more people being more vocal about microaggressions. And even most recently with, you know, what's going on with Yawande and how she had to deal with someone refusing to pronounce her name properly and thinking that giving her a nickname is acceptable. And actually there's so many layers to that. It was a very accurate depiction of what happens when you're with someone who you care for. So it could be your partner or it could be like, I've been with friends in the workplace before and someone has made a comment pertaining to race about being black and you don't want to say anything because it isn't I know Queenie's case was different but it's not racist as in I hate black people but it's there's something very wrong with what you just said and we know it because if you were in a different environment you wouldn't have said it and your friend wants to stick up for you and you know they're white or whatever but they don't want to make it awkward it was this huge elephant in the room that no one wants to address and so people don't address it and afterwards they might comfort you but what happens is when you don't address it the person is still hurt they don't get to not address it they have to deal with that hurt so Tom didn't know what to say because he's never had to say anything and it's this thing that we don't talk about even when it's really really blatant like whatever his uncle said but it's either your discomfort or her severe pain. And in all of these interactions, more often than not, people choose your severe pain over their discomfort. And that's what we saw there. It doesn't mean he's racist or what the hell is this guy doing? It's just he's never had to. He's not had to make those decisions, clearly. And I think, yeah, that was my take is that what made him increasingly problematic as we heard these interactions progress as she starts to recount these memories with his family is that he starts putting the blame on her for bringing it up. And that's where I started to take an issue with it. Because it's one thing that you feel uncomfortable calling out your family because it's your family and that's awkward for anyone. But don't blame Queenie for now defending herself for something that she literally cannot change and you are with her. So that's what really got on, really got on my nerves about Tom is that you can't be getting angry with her for basically being called the N-word at a Christmas dinner. Or, you know, she's got too much black on her when it was whites versus dark shirts or something in a game. And she's like, I'm wearing a white dress. And the uncle's like, no, love, there's too much black on you. And I was disgusted. Mm. 
I'm glad I she think... stormed out and I'm glad that cake dropped on the floor, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy about it. <laughs> I think as well for Queen, eh, she didn't necessarily think that Tom was going to change his family's perceptions in the slightest, but she just wanted Tom to be there and say something, be there for mm. her, regardless of whether that made him feel uncomfortable. And, but yeah, it was just a shame because you could just see her just reaching out to him across the room like, come on, please say something, anything, just say anything. Mm. Mm. But then because there was no backup from him, she was then internally making excuses for the racist action that was going on. And was that he did that because I was just a joke, because she didn't want to express her opinion further. You did hear that second guessing going on of like, am I overreacting? And I think as black women in the room, I think that's definitely probably occurred more than once. Is like, am I, am I being too much about this? Is this a big deal? Should it be a big deal? And I think that does happen. I think he just made her out to be an angry black woman. It was just like, you cheat man what are you doing because her reaction wasn't an overreaction it was a reaction to something that was completely justified and she wouldn't have reacted like that if he hadn't have acted like that so stop him acting like that and she won't react i just thought it was so victim blamey the whole oh well queenie kicks off at everything and i just thought well yeah because you're doing everything wrong so what do you expect her to do do you know what i mean and it was just stop making a look like this angry black lady every time she sticks up for herself because if you're not going to do it who else is going to do it she needed to take up space and every time she did he was like go back in your box but every like was definitely trying to pull her out like i want you to talk to me i want you to talk to me and then every time she did try to say something or express it it wasn't the way he wanted it to be expressed and so he was just like no 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 you're doing too much you're going too far i think that's exactly it what you just said is quite often her not expressing herself the way someone else wants her to express herself and I think that's so relatable for a lot of us in so many different situations it's people say you know let us know if you need help or if you're upset or let us know let us know but then it has to be on their terms otherwise it's not received and I think that was an example obviously she exploded but she had every right to (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's a lot going back on the issue with Queenie starting to question herself but that's what racism does. It's very insidious. And it also makes you second guess yourself. And I just want to put it out there that as black people or black women, we must remember that we are not the problem. And that's one thing that we need to keep at the forefront. We are not the problem. We're just having to try to navigate in a world that is just anti-black. Hey, how are you finding Audio Book Club so far? Do you think you want to get in on the action? Well, you can. So join us for our next live event and taping on Sunday, the 28th of February at 4pm GMT, where we'll be sharing our thoughts on erotic stories for Punjabi widows by Bali Kaur Jaswal. Or you can send your thoughts, questions and suggestions to us on WhatsApp on plus four four seven seven one five four zero eight eight three one. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review and share it with a friend who loves audiobooks as much as we do. If you love audiobooks and can never decide what to listen to next, then you need to check out You Heard It Here First, the podcast, where you'll get honest reviews of audiobooks, podcasts and dramas available on Audible. You can subscribe today on your favourite podcast player. Now it's time to introduce someone that can probably answer some of our lingering questions. We have the narrator and actor behind Queenie, Siobhan Marks here. Welcome to Audio Book Club, Siobhan. Hi. (laughs) You have no idea how excited we are to have you here. Could you start off by introducing yourself to us? I am Siobhan Marks. I'm an actor, a voiceover artist, a mum. Yeah, so that's me. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Could you tell us how Queenie came to your desk? How did you come across the story? Gosh, I signed to a new voiceover agent. So I think I'd only been with them maybe half a year or something. And then they sent me Queenie and said, Candy Williams has heard your voice and really wants you to narrate her new book. And I'd never done an audio book before. Wow. So I was a bit like, Okay, I'll have a read. I look forward to reading it. (laughs) And then I read the book and I was just like, oh my God, it's brilliant. 
I, yeah, it would just be the biggest pleasure to read this. Absolutely. Tell her, yes, not a problem. But then also this feels like a lot of work to like (laughs) a whole book. And I'm not the best reader either. So how is this going to go down? So yeah, it was great. She heard my voice reel and just wanted me to do it. So I feel lucky. Yeah. How did it go down? Because there are a lot of characters in this book. (laughs) How did it go down? Um, Well, I spoke to Candice a lot beforehand we sort of made sure we were on the same the same page with the characters and then from there I did a load of prep read the book quite a few times sort of approached it like I would approach a play because it was my first book I'd ever done it's just like oh gosh yeah how is it gonna go down and then on my first day like literally within the first couple of no it must have been like the first hour I was reading it and I went to the loo and I cried in the toilet because I found it so tough I was like oh my god I can't do this like this is so hard I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it cried a little bit not too much because I knew I then had to go back and use my voice and I didn't want to sound like I've been crying (laughs) but I was just so overwhelmed with it all because to sit in a box for three days and read a book is a challenge for sure Mm. but that's what makes it so great seeing people's reaction to it and I've had so much love from people listening to it that I guess I should have had more faith in myself (laughs) yes you should you absolutely killed it like I don't think you understand I don't have another voice in my head for Queenie other than your Mm. voice so if they decided to remake it or do a film I would struggle (laughs) oh wow thank you no you're very welcome so I'd love to know Siobhan, because as a hobby project, I've been making some audiobooks myself. Oh, cool. Yeah, for children. So for my nieces and nephews. And what I find difficult is remembering which voice I've used for which character. And so the park keeper will reappear in the second chapter. And I think, oh, blimey, was he a northerner? Was he Scottish? What was he? And obviously I'm making notes and I'm just having fun with it. But did you have to have really detailed descriptions of the kind of voices you gave people that you could then refer to? Yeah, that was part of the whole sort of overwhelm was it's like, you've got all these voices, what's going to come out, then they reappear, who were they? What were my choices? So for me, I annotate and I colour code everyone. Everyone has their own colour and I will choose a specific colour for that character to how it makes me feel. So for example, Darcy was like a soft pink And then I would just look at that and it would instantly make me feel really Darcy. And it would just instantly take me there. Granddad was like this light brown and it would just make me feel slow and yeah, have a different weight to my voice. So I would do that and I wouldn't be able to do it without my little colour coding. And Cheska was like a bright red because she just gave me that sort of cool, edgy, loud. Yeah. And that's how I would sort of work with it. That's so fascinating. Is that like people who see music in colours? Do you see music in colours? Do you have synesthesia, that amazing gift of seeing? I don't. I just, this, no, I've just done it for, the, for, my, <laughs> for my books. I always do it when, yeah, if I do an audio book now, I just always have just colours for how it makes me feel. No, I asked what colour was Guy. I was just curious because I love the way you link the colours with the way you imagine the character. So I was just curious what colour you had for Guy. What colour Guy was? I think Guy was actually just a blue. It's because he comes in quite late <laughs> that you start to run out of colours. <laughs> also, Guy was written, I think he was Welsh. That is correct. We were told he was Welsh, but I don't believe he actually had a Welsh accent. Yeah, so. no, see, I wasn't going to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and certain voices to Candy, so I was like, yes, yeah, so can't do that, can't do that one. We'll try to do this. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, Guy, Welshy wasn't actually Welsh <laughs> in the audio but Tom's voice sticks with me more out of the boys because I just remember it being quite whiny <laughs> that is so accurate <laughs> so, you're so annoying just be quiet <laughs> always sounded like he was moaning yeah. <laughs> yeah Tom did have a very distinct tone of voice and it was Whiny is definitely the best description for that. <laughs> I think Candice, when we were talking about it, she was like, think Simon from the Inbetweeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Natalie, please do ask your question. Go ahead. Hi, I wanted to know what your process was. Obviously, when you read the book first, you have that perception of the character in your head. Is it hard to not go into it starting the audiobook 
with that preconception in your head. So like you say, Tom was already whiny, but the characters such as Ted, for example, he didn't seem that offensive in the beginning, but then he progresses into an harassing, horrible, not very nice man. But his voice didn't come across like that. He did a brilliant job at not giving those preconceptions, but is it difficult to do that? No, I don't think so in the sense of you know I was reading like 400 page book and the only way for me to get through it was like literally just to take every page as it came so I wasn't really thinking about the end result of those characters I was just trying to stay present with it and I had the first read which I got to enjoy and then I went back go through make notes like highlight certain things that you don't find out till later that you might have to bring in earlier on. I just approach it like a script. I just wanted to ask, I think it was Viv who made a comment earlier that at some point reading the book, she was exhausted. And I was just wondering for you, as you were going through this, did sort of the material and handling some of the challenges that Kenny was going through, how was that for you? Like going on that emotional journey with her, was that really difficult or exhausting for you? Yeah, I think that was tough because I love Queenie and I think she's beautifully flawed and was going through so much and also I mean just doing a book is exhausting anyway so that comes with it but yeah I think her whole journey and the decisions her choices it is exhausting but in a great way because I felt like I knew her I felt like she was a rounded character so She was great to read. Viv, do you want to ask your question? So this is more of a voiceover technical question. Like I mentioned at the start that I'm working on an audio fiction podcast and we've just wrapped up the pilot. And initially I voiced all the characters. And so I voiced the different guys and the girls and everything. And then I got money (laughs) to voice it with, (laughs) how else do you say it? To voice it using actors. But one of the things my character does is she breaks the fourth wall quite a lot. So I talk to the listeners and then I go back into the story. And I was just after any kind of tips because you'll hear what my character's thinking, but then she maybe describes what she can see in front of you. So she's talking to you now. So I kind of have to switch between who I'm talking to. And I just wondered if you had any tips for that. It might be easier for you to explain Queenie narrating and then going into dialogue. Like, how did you find that switch? Well, I still highlight all of Queenie's speaking lines. It is different to her just being alone and talking to us, the reader. That is Queenie's voice when she's talking to someone is slightly different. Yeah. How I do that is another story. Um, (laughs) But I definitely, it feels when she's alone, there's more honesty. And I guess it's just more internal. It's more just to herself. And maybe even just technically on the mic, it goes a little bit quieter. Yeah. Or maybe she speaks a little bit faster because she's just mumbling to herself she doesn't have to articulate every word I definitely think you need to make a differentiation here between the two yeah well from your response even though you I can see you like "Mm, what did I do there that does give me some comfort because (laughs) that's how I felt and at times I would maybe try and look slightly left to give the sound of her voice like a different sort of texture and also make it a little bit quieter in some places but I didn't know if there was maybe a trick to switching between the two because it is a subtle change like there is a difference between describing the character's thoughts that internal monologue but obviously you want your listener to hear it and then talking to your listener so I guess maybe I'm on the right track (laughs) I'm sure you are and I think actually I'm thinking about like Candice with her writing I think she made that really easy for me with Queenie's internal to audience voice I think it was actually quite different to how she spoke to everyone else we got to know a lot more of Queenie I think than the people around her sort of knew Yeah, I definitely felt like the distinction listening as the third party audience member, I felt the difference was in the speed. Okay. And the volume, I guess, would be the easiest way to describe it. The cadence and the pacing was just ever so slightly different, which meant that we could differentiate between Queenie talking to us and Queenie talking to the corgis and Queenie generally narrating. Brixton, for example. You definitely did it that way, whether you were consciously thinking about it. <laughs> good question. Uh, it's a good question. Yeah. It's, yeah. It Thank you. That was really question. helpful. We will go to Sophie, then Ellie, then Shazza. I just wanted to ask, so obviously you recorded it over three days and that must have been so intense because you were really in the thick of it. After I finish reading something or whatever, I feel like I have a bit of like a book hangover. 
where you're trying to piece out what's real, what's not from like your own life because you're so engrossed in what you're doing. So did you find anything that really stuck with you that you were like, I just can't stop thinking about this part from that three days of of doing the book? Was there anything that just stuck in you and it changed your perception or something that you just couldn't detangle from? Well, I mean, personally, on one note is Queenie with her therapy and going to therapy. I think that stuck with me. I took something away from that by me actually sort of going internal and thinking about my own mental health and how I felt. And from then I actually went and saw a therapist for myself. But I think as a character, because it was quite intense, I did try and shake a lot of it off because she goes on such a journey, such a roller coaster. But also at the end then as well, it's not that things are solved or anything, but the ending feels like there's a lot of hope for Queenie in the future for our next journey, I guess. A good follow-up question to that was how were you taking care of yourself during the more intense readings of the book because there is quite graphic descriptions of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and microaggressions and racism and you're a black woman as well you know how were you looking after yourself and making sure that you weren't internalizing some of the harm that Queenie was experiencing as a character in all honesty I don't know if I was (laughs) fair enough yeah I don't know if I was even you know what I said with the tears that could have been a multitude of things and not just me doing this and feeling overwhelmed. But yeah, I sort of as well, I spent so much time prepping to do this book. Like I said, I read it so many times. I've gone through it so much, like, because I knew it was going to be great. I was like, I cannot mess this up. So I really put in the hours and I think it was just all a release as well. Thank you for your honesty on that, because sometimes that's just the truth. We don't, (laughs) we don't do what we need to do. It sounds like it was a really intense three days because of what you were doing in that time scale and because of the story. But there's also lots of moments of joy in that book, I think. And I wondered what parts you either had a lot of fun doing the voices for or if there was a character where you really enjoyed doing the voice. So it kind of lifted you through some of the heavier stuff. I would say Cheska. Mm. I loved reading her. I went through my script, my annotated script, And I came across her, I think it's when we first meet her, when she's telling Queenie about her date, when she's met this guy and she goes on the date and he takes her to that Thai restaurant and she's in a nice dress. In Crystal Palace. (laughs) Palace. She wants to be be in the West End and she's got on her Louboutins and that. And I was just reading it and I then started to read it out loud and then I started to read it into it. I remember having so much fun with that. She was just jokes all the time. So yeah, I loved reading for her. I loved reading the bits of Addy. Oh yeah, because he's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just so ridiculous. But I enjoyed that. So yeah, I definitely had a lot of fun as well with some of these characters. And also being her, being her grandma was really fun and reminded me of, of my grand. Both my grands sort of merged together, actually. There was a lot of joy, for sure. It was far from doom and gloom. (laughs) Mm, Wonderful. Shazza, let's go to your question. Just based on the conversations had, it's inevitable that Queenie went through a hell of a lot. She made a lot of poor decisions and that. So did she have a happy ending? I would say there's light at the end of a tunnel that she's about to go through another tunnel is how it sort of feels. It's not all joyous, but it feels like there's contentment and she's sort of more in tune with who she is. She's learned a lot about herself. When the book ends, and with it ends and how it does, you know, as you close that chapter and you finished voicing it, where did you yourself think Queenie would go? Where do you see Queenie now after this is all finished? Because I know you said that there would be a light before another tunnel. What do you see her next year being? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know. I, and also, can I just point out, I read this over two years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. I think as well, speaking to Candice and her being, I think she, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to say too much. That's Ooh. okay. Ooh. A scoop that we're not quite going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know who your favourite character was to voice. And if it was Queenie, is there another one that was your favourite? Oh, actually, I was going to say Cheska, because as I said before, I did really enjoy voicing her. But I also really enjoyed her aunt Maggie. Oh, aunt Maggie was funny. (laughs) I really loved her. I sort of based her on Kim from EastEnders. Yes, I see that. (laughs) Oh, good. Good. So, you know, just for that instant, like into a bit of character, I would think of her. Yeah, she just gave me jokes, really. (laughs) 
Thanks, Amber. And Camilla, go for it. I just wanted to say yeah, huge thank you for sharing all these thoughts about how you approach the project and listening to you talking and all of you describing the book and the characters. I'm now really excited and I'm going to listen to it rather than read it because now that I've met you, Siobhan, I feel like I've been given a sort of backstage pass. <laughs> it's just a real privilege to be able to hear about the story from someone who's clearly absorbed it and you know the story so well. So I, I'm going to feel like you're reading it to me. So that's really lovely. So thank you so much for yeah Yeah, definitely listen thank you all so much for coming along this has been a phenomenal discussion there was still just so much we didn't even get to even begin to unpack with Queenie and that's just the way with any book I imagine but this one in particular I think was very relatable in so many different ways and was just a phenomenal read We've come to the end of the show. What new thing have you taken away from Queenie? It's an incredible story, right? Are you ready to have a go and become an audio bookworm? You know that you can, and that does include if you've read and not listened to the book. Our next event is on Sunday, the 28th of February at 4pm, where we'll be discussing the erotic stories for Punjabi Widows by Bali Kaur Jaswal, narrated by Mira Sayal, suggested by this week's audio bookworm, Eunice. You can register at contentisqueen.org forward slash ABC3 or find everything you need in the show notes. Our events also always happen on the last Sunday of every month. So if you can't make this one, you can probably make the next one. If you can't bear to wait a month for your next audiobook fix, check out You Heard It Here First, a recommendation show that helps you find a new audiobook, podcast or drama to listen to on Audible. You can subscribe and listen to it on your favourite podcast player today. Thank you to all of our excellent audiobookworms and our special guest Siobhan Marks. This was a Content is Queen production, hosted by Imriel Morgan, produced by Amber Miller and Imriel Morgan. The featured guest was Siobhan Marks. The clips used are from Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams, courtesy of Orion Publishing. The music and sound effects are sourced from Epidemic Sound. Until next time, see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.